Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Tom McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me for the first half hour this morning is Mary Thawne, who is the Development Director for Prevent Child Abuse Vermont. Uh, Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. Glad to be here. Yeah, me too. This is great. We've got a lot of information we've got to give our listeners today. So could you tell us a little bit about PCABT? And just for a disclaimer, I was on the Board of Directors uh, for quite a few years and um, love this organization. So could you talk about the organization and also what you do for them as their development director? Absolutely, and thank you, Pat, for your service on the board. Um, no, no so PCABT is, um, is the Vermont chapter of Prevent Child Abuse America, and we do primary prevention work with preventing child sexual abuse and shaken baby syndrome. We do safe sleep training, and we do family support groups. And everything right now has been virtual, since COVID, which has been very helpful for many folks because they can attend classes, they can attend family support groups no matter where they are, but we are starting to get back into some schools, some hospitals where we do trainings and that sort of thing, and so we're doing a sort of a hybrid work right now. I have been the development director for two years with PCAVT, and my job is to build relationships with individuals, with corporations, and create opportunities for partnerships in giving so that they can help fuel the work of PCABT. That's great. Sounds like you have a full plate, Mary. Indeed. Um, there's a <laughs> lot of work to do. So I just wanted to tell folks that because of a project that's being undertaken by Montpelier up at the former Montpelier Elks Club property, and I had uh, Montpelier on to talk about that project maybe about a month or so ago. Um, so PCAVT uh, had offices at the Elf Club, so they had to move, and they picked this wonderful location at the end of State Street in Montpelier under the clock. And I think Steve Ribellini is the, is the uh, landlord there, and he's doing a fabulous job for them. Then the flood came. And, Mary, can you talk about what happened to PCAVT because of the disaster and perhaps share with us uh, their estimated financial loss. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a fabulous location, first floor at the bank building with the clock. And as everyone knows, downtown Montpelier flooded on July 10th and 11th. And so our basement was full and we had one, uh, two to three feet of water rushing through our first floor offices. So we lost everything we had in the basement. We lost all of our furniture and we were fully prepared for our late summer and our fall outreach and training. And we lost almost all of our materials, our curriculums, our, our event materials, which we've estimated should be about $80,000 worth of loss. Wow. Yeah, I know I was talking to Linda Johnson, who's the executive director, and, and she was just devastated because what a great location for you all. Mm -hmm in walking distance to the State House, which is important to prevent child abuse Vermont. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, she said everything. I'm assuming a lot of the stuff is backed up on on um, um, computers and stuff, but it's a matter of getting them printed and getting them available for your uh, for your clients. Um, 
so you also had some practice um, with COVID, I think, from working off-site and, and doing all those things. Because Linda said a lot of the stuff you're you're still doing, but but online. So this big event, Walk for Vermont, is their biggest fundraiser, I believe, of, in the year. And it is so much fun. My grandchildren grew up walking for children in Montpelier. They start at the State House lawn and um, walk around for quite a while. Spider-Man shows up every year. There's food. There's entertainment. And so what's happening, Mary? Yeah. So not only had we lost all of the materials for our walk, so our tents, our tables, our signs, all of that, we were still pushing forward with holding the event. And then we just had to accept the fact that really between the condition of downtown Montpelier, which really felt kind of disrespectful to to march through downtown Montpelier when things are really struggling right now, we couldn't be guaranteed that we would have access to the Statehouse lawn, to some of the sidewalks, to the parking lots, because there's construction vehicles there, all the work that has to be happening. And so we had many discussions about alternate locations. And really at this late date, we felt like what we needed to do was just pivot to an online-only event and encourage folks to still participate from wherever they might be. That's great. So um, you asked people to either walk individually and and give a donation, which in turn you used to get T-shirts. Are you still giving out T-shirts for folks who participate? Absolutely. So if you raise $100, we're going to send you a T-shirt. We have something that was new last year called the Lead the Way Club, and it's anybody who raises $500 or more. We've got a nice medal with the year of the walk on it, and we'll still recognize our top three teams and our top three individuals. And we're still thanking all of our wonderful sponsors who were very supportive of still um, being part of the event and supporting the work. It was really for them. It's more supporting the work than it is for a marketing um, ploy for them. So, yeah, people can register online. They can collect donations. And if they want to have a walk through their neighborhood or just a cookout, they can create a team and have a little celebration with their walk team wherever they might be. That's great because normally I read somewhere it was 100000 but you told me that uh, the fundraiser normally raises about seventy thousand a year, and historically, uh, yes, yeah. And you're looking this year to raise eighty thousand because uh, I don't know where I got that number, but I think from Linda that that's about the estimated financial loss. So you actually more than eighty thousand, eighty thousand to replace what you've lost, <clears throat> and then more funds to continue operating. Um, so. Um, it's true. I mean, when we've had, um, we put out some um, information about our losses and we've had some great donors come through right. and help us begin to replace all that we lost. But yes, the, the work still is going on and still must go on. Um, we know that um, this is an ongoing challenge. For sure. And um, uh, I had did a show um, with um, um, Sue Mittner and Mary Moulton and they were talking about the impact first of COVID on children, and now uh, the flood. I mean, they've lost, some of them have lost their homes. They're living in a shelter or in a, in a motel. And, I mean, how much can our little people handle? Um, it's pretty devastating when you walk down the, the towns, both Barry City and Montpelier, and you see all the, the carnage, really. It looks uh, yeah. it's pretty bad. So um, just curious, have you 
um, increased your your um, client base because of all of this. The children must really be devastated. Right. Yes, we. I think it's probably going to be a while before we really see the results on kids from the flooding. But I have heard from our family support team that they are right there giving their clients, the people who participate in their programs, all of the resources they might need. They're um, making sure that they know all the resources in the area where they are and that our families are finding these family support groups even more essential to them. One story was that one of the participants was trying to log in on Zoom while they were evacuating because she didn't want to miss the group. And so our staff worker assured her she would follow up with her, that she should focus right now on evacuating safely, and then was able to follow up with her afterwards. So they're still attending. They're getting all the resources that we can possibly send them to. That's great because um, they are out there. And and what Mary and uh, uh, both Mary and um, Sue were telling me, it's, I mean, how do you explain this to children? You know, I mean, it just there's, you know, wake wake up one morning and gone, and um, it's just it's just devastating for them. So I have enjoyed Prevent Child Abuse Vermont so much over the years. A lot of great work. Most of it is done teaching the teachers. Correct. I mean, you work with the people that work with children, teaching them um, a lot of your programs. And uh, when when you go out to to solicit from somebody some funding. What do you tell them about Prevent Child Abuse Vermont and perhaps the Walk for Children about how important it is, the work you guys right. do? You're right. So we, we do most of our work as primary prevention, which is stopping it before it happens. Our family support groups are there to support families after they've had to go through um, a situation. And so a lot of our work is with um schools, educators in schools and in daycare facilities where we're training them how to, for themselves, to prevent abuse and how to help the children learn empathy and um, and learn how to care for each other so as they grow up, there's less likely to be abuse that happens in this generation of children. Um, and we work with parents of newborns to learn safe sleep, to learn um ways that they can um, calm themselves down and not um, injure a baby when the baby is crying, and that's very stressful. And so now we know that families are going to be under even more stress because of the devastation of the flood, and this work is even more important during a time of a disaster where parents really need this support. They need to learn these skills, and they need to know that there's a community there that's behind them. Because I'm just sitting here thinking... um if you're a parent who does uh, tend to abuse your children um, because you're under pressure, this ought to send them over the over the edge. Um, so I'm sure that um, um, the actual abuse from the parent or or whomever um, is just multiplied because they're under so much stress themselves, trying to find a new place to live, trying to save their jobs, trying to um, get money. I mean, it's just the the stress is overwhelming. It is, and it's so important that we understand that it takes a whole community to support families and to build strong, nurturing families, that um, it's not up to the children to protect themselves. It's up to the adults to protect the children, and it's up to the community to support and encourage the parents that are 
that are in the struggle right now. Yeah, that's I. It's hard to put that into words too because it's over. I can just imagine like in Hawaii and other places that hmm. I mean your whole life gone, and gone. Uh, what a mess in both Montpelier and Barry, and I'm sure there are other surrounding towns and, and towns north and south of us who are in the same uh, predicament. So it's we these children need our support, and um, um, when I was on the board, I. They did a couple of programs for us where the one of your staff would come in and do do the like the shaken baby syndrome, the um, I forget what they called it, Mary, but it was what bad touching, what's bad touching, and what do you do about it, and how do you teach kids what is a bad touch and what isn't, and um, I forget the name of that program, but we as a board we sat and watched this instructor and it was so amazing how they were able to take a very difficult subject and put it into words that a young person, a child, would understand and have the strength to say no. Do you know what well, you're we, talking about? Yes. Well, so we we train the adults on how to watch over and protect the children and look for situations that might not be safe. And we train the children on how to find their safe adult. It might be someone in their home. It might ah. be someone in their school. It might be someone in their community. Because often a child doesn't necessarily feel safe to say no, but they need to have an adult that they can go to and talk to if something doesn't feel quite right to them. And just so all your listeners know, we have nine different adult trainings on how to protect children from child sexual abuse, and they're all free for Vermonters. You can go online. They're all virtual. You can go to PCAVT.org and find all of our adult responsibility trainings, and they're all free for anyone who has children in their life that they want to protect. That's great. Thank you for that. Um, uh, we're going to take a, a break in just a minute or two, um, Mary, but I guess just quickly, if your clients don't have access to computers, um, do they go to the library? How do they get access if they're not able to come uh, or if you're holding a meeting in person um, at some point, how how do they get access? Um, to yeah, we have been able to um, have a lot of laptops, iPads donated, and the largest oh, amount has come from the National Life Group. And they refurbish them, they donate them to us, and we get them to our participants of our support groups, and then they get to keep them. And that means they can also have access to those tools for school, for job hunting, for any other thing that they might need, and that's just been fabulous for our, for our folks. Great. Uh, shout out to, to uh, National Life for sure. I don't, realize, I don't think people realize how much National Life does mm -hmm. for our communities. I mean, they are always there, always willing to help, and always willing to donate, and um, I, uh, it's a great organization. It must be good to work there that you feel good about what, what your executives and your company is doing. Um, so I think, um, I don't know if, I don't, maybe uh, Karen Patno can't join us. We were going to ask Dr. Patno, who is very active in um, Prevent Child Abuse Vermont. She's a pediatric ner uh, doctor, excuse me, and every year she is there with a group from St. Uh, Johnsbury? St. Johnsbury. Mm -hmm. And she is so, because she sees firsthand um, more so than we would what the impact of abuse does for a on a child. And um, uh, so she's already busy putting a team together, 
and planning something right in her own backyard um, because she is so supportive. It's it's refreshing to talk to her and just to understand the the depth of her support. Yeah. Yeah, the St. Johnsbury Pediatrics team led by Dr. Patnow is amazing. They have a big group. They make their own T-shirts, and so um, they'll figure out what their their celebration will be in their own backyard in St. Johnsbury, but um, we'll definitely be sending T-shirts to them because they're always a great fundraising team for the walk. For some reason, Mary, I don't. you've only been there two years, but I remember this happened once before where people were uh, doing their own thing in their own backyard, and it might have been after another disaster. I don't remember, but they've done this before, and people were very responsive and really helped them out when they found out what kind of trouble uh, they're in and, and what the situation was. When we were talking about kids, I think we also need to talk about our teenagers because you do a lot of work for them, cyberbullying, um, warning them about what's on um, our cell phones and uh, come through with that little thing we hold in our hand constantly all day. Um, they probably got just as impacted as as young people, their friends, their school, you know, going out to play or doing whatever kids do, riding bikes. It's all changed for them. For sure, for sure. And some of them lost their summer jobs that they were counting on. Ah. Um, for sure, and um, we do. You're right. We we have one of those free for Vermonters online trainings I talked about is how adults can protect their kids online, and that really starts earlier and earlier these days, probably fourth or fifth grade. Parents should start thinking about how to protect their kids online, um, and we have a new, um, a new training that we developed because high schools were requesting that we help them deal with sexting which is a problem all over, oh. again, starting in middle school. And so, yeah, we are out there from pre-K, well, from newborns, really, from newborns all the way through, um, trying to support the parents and the kids and, and, and have safe childhoods for everybody. You know, that's a delicate balance, I'm thinking, sitting here as a parent. You don't want to be intrusive and and make your kids think that you don't trust them. But on the other hand, there are people out there who will take every opportunity to... Um, um, share stuff with with your child, and uh, it's a balance uh, about how much you can interfere and 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 oversee them, and hope that you've taught them to just back away, delete, don't look, whatever, move move away. Yeah, um, absolutely. So and you know, and our trainings for that age group really address them as the young adults that they're becoming. Right? We don't talk down to them. We don't just wag a finger at them. We really tell them what are the serious consequences of this? And we have found that in their responses, they've really enjoyed the trainings and have learned a lot from them. So we're hopeful oh, that they're taking great. that away with them. Yeah. You know, because I feel I'm, I hope I'm fairly intelligent. I almost got suckered in the other day. I think I've talked about this on the radio um, with my bank account and my relationship with the VSECU, the Vermont State Credit um, uh, Credit Union. And I stopped the conversation early enough so they couldn't get to my money because it just wasn't ringing true. But yet, on the other hand, it was ringing true enough that I kept talking to the guy um, over time. And when we stopped it, um, when I stopped it and said, I have to go check on this at the bank, um, I was told by the bank that they deal with at least 10 a week of of scams where people have... um, fallen for it and lost lost the money out of their checking and savings gone 
and yeah. the FDIC doesn't cover it because you unintentionally gave these people permission to go into your account. It's mm-hmm. a scary world out there. So if, if I um, get fooled, can you imagine a, a teenager who hasn't experienced the life um, right. gets suckered right in? Right. I mean, life experience and their brain isn't completely developed yet. They don't have that part of their brain that really assesses risk in the right way. So, some would, yeah. Some would say mine isn't developed either, Mary, <laughs> just so you know from the record. <laughs> but they, they talk, they sound so convincing. I mean, they know just enough to get you suckered in. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty scary. I was sort of embarrassed by that, but at least they caught it in advance, uh, enough time to stop it. But good grief. So um, r- right now you're asking just to go back to make sure people understand what to do for the walk. Online, there's a sign-up page. You can um, – why don't you tell us a little bit about what they can do, uh, where the money goes, how they get the money to you, what, how does it all work, and you can have fun with this and maybe a little Absolutely. celebration of children. Yeah, so pcavt.org slash events. And you'll see the walk listed there among a few other events that you could get involved in. When you click on that walk listing, it'll take you to our walk page where you can start a team or just register as an individual. And once you do that, you'll have all the tools to share your personal page with your friends and family through email, on Facebook, ask folks for donations. They can go right online and donate online. So that's easy peasy for you. You don't have to collect cash and checks. But you can, and the address is right there where you can mail them to us um, and our temporary Montpelier post office um, <laughs> where we can collect, collect the donations and apply them right to your team from the backside of the website. So uh, where are you operating out of now? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I went home, right? So we're from home. We had an upstairs conference room, and so... Most of our things are in that room, and then our our wonderful landlord, Steve Ribellini, who you mentioned earlier, Great. gave us a couple of empty spaces where we can um, do some packing and shipping for our curriculums that we send out. So we're upstairs on the second floor, but only when we need to be. Usually we're all from home right now. That's great. We only have one or two minutes left. Could you talk really quickly, and you probably have to have it reprinted, but your guide for services, and I went blank on the name, but that is one ah. of the best things you have as an organization for people? Yes, the Vermont's Parents Home Companion and Resource Directory. Right. Every parent of every newborn gets it. It's also in a PDF form on our website, pcavt.org, and um, people can access it there. On Often it's at their doctor's offices as well. It's a great resource. Two things for our listeners. Please help with the walk and check out the, uh, the guide for parents. It is an all-encompassing one-place to go to to get all of the information you need about where in Vermont to go for services. It's great. Mary, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate uh, being part of getting the message out. Um, I hope people are listening and will help. Again, Prevent Child Abuse Vermont and uh, the Walk for Children, which was scheduled from August. Oops, I got the wrong form here. <laughs> this September 30th. Oh, okay, thank you. August, uh, there you go. Um, so, Get, get stuff put together before the 30th and, and help them out. Mary, thanks. We'll be in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pat. Hi there, folks. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint. 
on WDEV, and for the next half hour, we're going to be talking to Jeff Bartley, who is the marketing director. Jeff, I know you've been on my show before, and on um, where were you on recently? Um, I was on uh, Travels with Charlie on Monday. Oh, Travel of Charlie Papillo, of course. That is a great show. I love listening to him, and he's got awesome guests. And here you are. So, oh, well, thank you. Hundred. Yeah, this is the hundred and first Champlain Valley Fair. Um, and it's called, it's, it's tagged as the biggest event in Vermont. So you're a little busy these days, Jeff. You know, we are. I'm looking outside my office window right now, and I see about 40 rides that were not here next week. So I think we're ready for the 10 best days of summer. That's great. And I love that tag, too, the 10 best days of summer. That's really great. So I didn't come up with too many questions because I just listed all the stuff you've got going on, and that can keep us busy talking with that half hour and probably we're going to need more you were talking about the rides uh i read that there are 40 rides 70 food mm-hmm. vendors and of course oh and 2000 animals including a parakeet tent is that true uh, we might have some parakeets this year. Um, you know, we have a couple of new exhibits uh, coming, but we do have uh, emus here. Um, I drove in this morning and I saw probably 30 or 40 sheep getting ready. Um, you know, so we're we're a full-fledged agricultural fair. Uh, that's where our roots come from, um, and we're really proud of the uh, dozens of uh, animal exhibits that we have. Um, so anybody, young and old, can come, uh, you know, touch the animals, learn about the animals, ask questions. Um, some of them you can even feed. Oh, that's cool. That's exciting. That's really cool. we got to figure out a way to get there. We're coming home in the, in next week, so it'll be good timing. Because the fair runs from August 25th, through September 3rd, and let me just go through some of You've got great entertainment. You've got the 2023 Bud Light Concert Series, um, mm-hmm. and you've got Tyler Hubbard of Florida, and could you talk about the entertainment, because I have Taylor Rodriguez and Ludacris um, yep. as, your three, as your three stars. Um, could you talk about them and when they're coming on? Yeah, so we're uh, this uh, Friday or tomorrow. Wow, it's tomorrow. Uh, we are opening the uh, the ten best days of summer with Tyler Hubbard of Florida Georgia Line. Um, he's a country music artist. Um, really re- has a couple of hit songs out, including Five Foot Nine um, and Dancing in the Country. And uh, so Saturday we have a motocross show. Sunday's our annual monster truck show. Monday and Tuesday uh, we have. To, uh, tribute bands in the grandstand, and these are free shows uh, with paid admission to the fair. So Monday night we'll have uh, Taylor Rodriguez, who's doing a, a tribute to Elvis Presley, the king. And then Tuesday uh, we're doing a Led Zeppelin tribute. Wednesday is our annual figure eight racing, one of my favorite motorsports events. The Demolition Derby is on Thursday. And then Friday, our big, big concert is Ludacris, uh, the actor and hip-hop and rap artist. Saturday, we have another tribute band. Uh, and again, this is a free show uh, with paid admission to the fair, um, Nirvana. Um, and it's a local band um, that they'll be uh, jamming out on the Xfinity stage. And then we'll close out the fair with a rising superstar, a country music superstar, Riley Green. He has a couple hits out right now. Um, and those tickets are really selling quickly. So you want to go to our website, ChamplainValleyFair.org, to purchase them uh, quickly. And if you purchase uh, concert tickets in advance, they include free admission to the fair. That's great. Yeah, you've got it. We should talk about that. So, because tomorrow it starts. So, if you want to um, be part of something and and you have to get tickets, you've got a lot of 
uh, specials about how you combine tickets. You got a ticket, a daily admission, but then you've got other uh, tickets which would cost less a two day and ten day. I mean, it's there's quite a few variations on the ticket theme. Yeah, you know, I I I, I say this tongue in cheek, but I'm pretty serious with the amount of uh, discounts that we provide. Um, we work with our sponsors. Um, you, you could have purchased tickets in advance for a discounted price up until the 15th. You have to try hard to pay full price at the Champlain Valley Fair. You know, tomorrow is half price day. Uh, so all day long, when we open our gates at three o'clock, you get in for eight dollars, and there's a discounted ride bracelet. Uh, Monday is Kids' Day, uh, so children's uh, five to twelve uh, get in for four dollars, um, and all your are all run long. Uh, children four and under are free. We also have Military Appreciation Day on Monday, uh, so active duty and veterans um, get in for free. Tuesday is senior day, um, and we welcome anybody 55 and older um, at a discounted rate. Wednesday is our big special day, and it is, it's, it's pretty fun to watch, actually. It's called the Carload Special Day. And you go to your local Maple Fields, you pick up a coupon, and everybody in your car gets into the fair, um, the submission to the fair gets a ride bracelet, which is valued at forty dollars, um, and parking for seventy nine dollars. So if you come with a van and you got eight passengers in your van, legal limits apply. Seventy nine dollars, everybody gets in for for the day. And then uh, Thursday, we this is my favorite special. Um, we partner with uh, the Vermont Federal Credit Union and the Vermont Food Bank. And if you come between ten and two and bring two cans of uh, perishable goods to donate to the food uh, non perishable goods, excuse me to donate to the food bank, you get free admission to the fair. You bring two more, and we give you uh, a discounted uh, ride bracelet. Uh, So plenty of opportunities to to save. And if you're a night owl uh, like me, Monday through Friday next week, um, it's $8 to get into the fair after 5 p.m. Awesome. That that is amazing. That's really great. I didn't realize you had so many opportunities. Um, And I also read where you have a whole lot of new food vendors. Any any one of them come to mind that uh, you can entice folks to show up? I like the food, fair food. Oh, I, I love the fair food. And I, I got to tell you, Pat, last year I, I have an iWatch and I keep track of my miles that I walk. And I, over the 10 days, I walked 101 miles, but I still gained eight pounds. And it's the food. There's so much good sinful right. food. And uh, this year we got some new ones, including um, walking waffles, uh, which is you, you take a waffle and you shape it into like an ice cream cone, and then we yeah. just fill it with whatever you want. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. That's really great. I've been listening to the food at, in, about the Iowa Fair, um, and I was like, oh, my God, I wonder what they've got going at the, at the Champlain <laughs> Valley Fair because the food is always good there, always um, you can't go wrong with any of the vendors, for sure. Uh, I also saw somewhere it's a whoopie pie contest. Is that for anybody who wants to enter? Because those things are great. Yeah, our our culinary department is in the back of the Ware building, um, actually right in front of uh, the live shark exhibit that we're going to have. And all week long we have competitions from whoopie pies to apple pies. Um, we do cooking demonstrations. There's somebody every single day uh, with a different uh, genre on flavor palette of food that you can sit down and watch them cook for uh, 30 minutes and then sample that food for free. Um, we're really proud of a lot of the competitions that we do from um, you know horse pulling to 
the garden center to the art center and of course culinary and you can view all those competitions um, on our website uh, we have a, a drop down for the exhibitor handbook um, I mean there's even a homebrew competition uh, so oh. there's, there's really many many different ways to interact with the fair that's great. And you have 4-H uh, folks, uh, kids here there too, don't you? Used to. Oh, no, we still do. Um, in fact, oh, this good. Sunday is our 4-H day, um, so we have a lot of the 4-Hers here uh, doing demonstrations and, and competing with one another um, in the Garden Center in Expo North. We have a beautiful exhibit of all the posters and projects that the 4-Hers have been working on all year long. Um, and i got to tell you something about 4-H, too, is the person who runs the 4-H department for us, our superintendent, her name is Mary Fay, and she is the sweetest person I know, and this year, she is celebrating her 52nd year volunteering at the Champlain Valley Fair. Oh so you'll God. you'll see her hopping around and make sure you say hi and thank you for the more than a half a century of dedication to our fair. I wonder how she does that, and she's only in her 30s, right? Like, that's what I asked her. She turned 32 <laughs> this year, and she said, no, it's actually 33. <laughs> oh, my God, that's funny. So I wrote you a little note. I don't know if you saw it on one of the emails I sent you. My favorite place, believe it or not, they always have a vendor that wants to sell you, I don't know, for $300, some all these fabulous pots and pans, and they cook. And I could sit in, in front of that vendor for the whole fair. That's where I had. One day they're going to get me to buy those pots and pans because I just love watching <laughs> people cook. I really do. I just, I, there's a thing, I'm sure. But um, um, I love it. And, you know, they talk you through it, and you learn a lot, and... On someday I'm going to buy those pots and pans because they are they are amazing. I'm sure they would appreciate that. Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's a great. Uh, it's uh, they're great and it's they cook good too. So um, let's see. We have to take a break in a couple minutes. Um, you have I don't maybe it's too late now, but you've got a read and win program which I think people should know about because that is a great idea. Yeah, no, we um, it's it's something that I, I wish more kids would take advantage of. Um, but you know, it's we what we do is we partner with um, all the libraries um, and schools across the state, and we send them um, information on this program. And um, if a a, a kid um, K through eight reading during the summer, if they read three books. Um, they will receive a free admission to the Champlain Valley Fair, one free ice cream and one free ride ticket, so they can ride any of the rides for free. And, you know, we send out about 1,300 uh, ribbons um, to kids across the state who um, are participating in this program. Um, and we get the ribbons from the International Association of Fairs and Expositions. They are very um, – this is a big initiative for them to encourage uh, kids to read, and we obviously sign on on that. Um, and I have to say, um, we average about 400 kids um, – um, that take advantage of this program, and uh, so they'll come on Monday. Um, they'll uh, you know pick up their their tickets, um, their 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 uh, little uh, uh, coupon, um, and then we also have books here uh, that they can take home with them. Um, we have dozens and dozens of books that are donated to us as part of this program, um, and so it is really cool to see the 400 kids come in and out and get excited to celebrate what they've accomplished over the summer, and then you know grab a book and a free ice cream um, and enjoy the rest of the day. Jeff, that is, I'm very impressed. That's really great. That I don't know who thought that up, but what a wonderful thing. Um, the uh, studio just told me that we had a caller and wants to know if Al French fries are going to be there this year. Are they? Are they coming back? 
Al's French Fries is not coming back. Um, you know, we've been uh, working with them for well over 40 years, um, and they've been a staple here. But their uh, their business model is changing a little bit, um, and you know, with staffing issues um, that everybody's facing, um, they're yeah. focusing on their satellite um, operations in St. Albans and Milton. Of course, their uh, home base in South Burlington. So right. we're going to miss them. Um, but we've we've filled those booths uh, with some uh, new things, including the walking waffles, like I talked about. We do have 802 fries coming in. Um, and another food that I'd be curious to know if you, I can uh, get you to try it is we're going to have gator on a stick uh, here and some uh, good Cajun food. So it would be uh, wonderful to see if uh, I can see Pat McDonald uh, chomping on one uh, of those. I would try gator. I would. Um I, I don't have a I didn't get a reaction to that physically. <laughs> That's how I gauge it. If I go, ooh, <laughs> I would try. It tastes like chicken. I was going to say you're going to everybody says whatever you try new they say it tastes like chicken. So oh, that is really cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah, there's I would do that. Um, so Al French fries. I, I I understand why they're doing it because uh, all the restaurants here I'm in Maine um, in the summer. And, you know, they open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They open just for dinner. They don't do lunch anymore. Um, it's real. I don't know where our workers went, but can you imagine working at Al French Fried? Oh, my word. They stopped going to Thunder Road, too. That was a couple of years ago, I think, um, which is sad uh, because people go to these things, and they all go to Al's French Fries. So if they had staff, I'm sure that financially they would do well, but they, they don't have staff. That's that's the problem. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, and it's gotta, one thing I sorry. I like to point to too is you know our food vendors have been setting up for a few weeks, so it's not just opening up and having somebody run the fry later or you know the grease kitchen or cooking sausages. Um, there's a lot of build up and then tear down that goes into it. Um, so you know it that that plays into um, what we're trying to do here and why we try to have a lot more food options just to uh, to mix it up a little bit. You know, I was just thinking we have to take a break in a minute. Um, Whoever does your setups, I mean, what a headache you've got to. And if you don't have the the juice for the for the uh, vendor, you know, the plug in here. I mean, there's so many things you that poor person or team has to think about to get it right. And it's always the little things that get people mad at you. You know, like how hard is it not to have electricity at this vendor spot? I mean, what a nightmare. So it's it's a city. We turn into a city overnight. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. With Jeff Bartley, marketing director of the 101st Champaign Valley Fair, tagged as the biggest event in Vermont and the 10 best days of summer. Got some great logos there for shirts and hats, Jeff. Yeah, we love it. We, um, you know, we actually just went through a rebrand um, because we are proud to uh, announce that uh, we have a new presenting sponsor, um, and that's North Country Federal Credit Union. Um, they have an amazing team. They're very community centric, um, and we try to be very community centric um, as well. So it's been a good synergy, and uh, so we got some new new hats, new logos. Um, and so when you uh, come to the the fair this year, I think you're gonna see uh, some new colors, and it's pretty exciting. That's really great. Well, you're working hard, that's for sure. Um, that's quite a job you, you've got there. I, because we had you on one time, you were talking about the whole year and what keeps you busy all year long. This isn't just a Champaign Valley Fair and that's it. There's, uh, if you check the website for the uh, Champaign Valley Expo, um, there's just every spare moment of the year is, is filled with something happening at the fairground. So um, good for you. Um, could you talk a little bit in the time we've got left about the fundraising opportunity? I'm I'm hoping that's not too late for nonprofits to to participate. So 
Podcast. You're from a nonprofit. Listen up. Yeah, so uh, we, we, you know, with the labor market of what it is uh, these days, uh, we're you know trying to get creative to fulfill um, our needs for you know parking and ticket takers and admission staff and all of that. And um, so uh, somebody in our team came up with the idea: is like, hey, what if we reach out to civic uh, organizations, and um, if somebody volunteers uh, with us? Uh, you know, taking tickets or um, stamping or scanning um, some you know pretty easy positions here. Um, instead of paying that person, we'll make a donation to that organization. Uh, so if you go to our website, um, there's on our homepage right at if you scroll down, you'll see a big button in the graphic saying fundraising opportunity. It has all the information in there, um, and I, I think we've had about seven or eight organizations take advantage of this, and so it helps us out. Um, you know, because we have four gates um, that need to be staffed with five or six people over the course of the, the day uh, for 10 days. Um, and so it allows us to give to these organizations and give back, um, but also, uh, of course, fulfills our staffing needs. Uh, it's a cool opportunity, and uh, I'm excited to see what the final number is going to be at the end of this. But I imagine we'll probably be donating between eight and $10,000 to various organizations um, across Vermont. That's great. I'll, I will promote it on my Facebook because I think these days, especially for – those in Montpelier that have been hit by the flood, um, a few extra bucks uh, for being part of a fair isn't too shabby. That's a great idea. It is. And, and, and in regards to the uh, the flood, um, I do want to say we've uh, been coordinating with FEMA. Um, and so we've given them um, a large booth space um, in our Expo South, um, in the same room where you can find those cooking demos that Pat was talking about. Um, and that's there. for free. What's that? I said I'll be there in that booth so they can talk oh, exactly. to <laughs> uh, But they're, uh, they're there to answer any questions um, and, and help Vermonters as we uh, recover from these floods. Yeah, they're actually coming back. FEMA and the SBA are coming back um, uh, next week to update people on what they've been up to. So uh, they should have a report from the fair. That will be very interesting. Um, I just wanted to talk about one or two of these um, events you have because I – um, I'm just curious about them. You've got a night of fire and destruction with the Monster Truck Show, which I love monster trucks. I mean, so what happens at that show, uh, fire and destruction? Yeah, it's um, it's actually uh, it's sold out now. Um, it sold out yesterday. It's um, so it, we have about six, maybe eight monster trucks that are going to come, um, and we've uh, gotten an organization, um, Burnett Scrap Metal, to donate uh, some um, old winter beaters with a heater that can be crushed. Um, you know, there's some uh, racing on ATVs that go on, and uh, every once in a while we see somebody out there that likes to uh, light himself on fire and walk down a line. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a pretty exciting event. It's very family-friendly. Um, and what I like about this event is we, we start it at 4 o'clock, so it's perfect for the young kids before bedtime. They don't get home too late. And this Sunday, um, this is a big deal. Our Midway company is turning 100 this year, and so we've worked with them, and we are opening up the Midway, all of the rides, this Sunday for the first 100 minutes, starting at noon, for 100 minutes, absolutely free. So kids can come in, ride the rides for 100 minutes, and then go enjoy the Monster Truck Show, all done within four hours, and they go home and get a good night's sleep. That's great. Wiped out. you got to wear them out, Jeff. That's the key, as you know at your home. Uh, with That's right. <laughs> Uh, although your oldest, how old, may I just ask how old he is on the air? Um, uh, yeah, he just turned eight, and then I have a 19-month uh, uh, baby girl. 
Ray, well, that's eight years old, Jeff. Where did all that time go? You're not getting any older, are you? No. No, I'm staying the same. <laughs> well, this job will keep you busy and keep you young. Um, we've got another couple of minutes to wind up the show. Um, I'm going to show you how clueless I am about what is, don't yell, what is freestyle motocross? What is that show? What is motocross? Sorry. It is exactly what I hope that um, the uh, my child never gets involved in because it gives me a heart attack thinking about. Um, but it's uh, bicycles; they'll be flying and motorcycles flying forty feet in the air, doing somersaults. Uh, they're going to be giving away a bike uh, with raffles. It's very uh, uh, crowd in- crowd engaging. Um, and uh, but man, some of some of these jumps that they do, I mean, I don't even know. Uh, where they come up with the ideas to do it because it's just terrifying. But it's fun, it's exciting, it's safe, um, and it's always a big hit. So it's another 4 p.m. show on Saturday um, that I think the kids will really, really enjoy. That's great. You'd think if I'm, since I'm a motorcycle rider, I would know what motocross is. Shame on me. I don't want any comments <laughs> from anybody on my emails. Um, anyway, Jeff, we've got just two minutes. Do you want to wrap up with uh, where all this information is and, and anything special you want to flag for our listeners? Yeah, I'll say that, um, you know, we have a lot of daily specials, um, uh, schedules, all that is available on our website, ChamplainValleyFair.org. But I'd encourage you to download our app. It's free in the Google Play and Apple stores. Uh, It lists everything um, from the daily schedules to competitions to uh, a map of where your food items are and what's on the menu, rides, how many tickets it takes, um, FAQs, everything you can find through this app, and you can buy tickets um, through – through it at champlainvalleyfair.org as well. That's great. Well, we'll be there Monday, and I'm going to try the gator on stick, and we'll report back. How's that? I appreciate that. <laughs> that's good. That's really cool. Um, good luck with everything. I know it'll be a big success. Um, and we've got to sign off now. Thanks to Jeff Bartley for joining us. Um, maybe we'll have him on afterwards to see it's bigger, better every year, it sounds like, Jeff. So good for you. Um, this is Pat McDonald signing off uh, for Vermont Viewpoint on WDED. Please join us for the next hour. We have got a woman, Kathy Elkind, who's an author who wrote To Walk It Is To See It, 98-Day Hike in Europe. You have got to listen to Kathy speak about her experiences. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me on the phone is Kathy Elkind, who's an author of a book entitled To Walk It Is To See It, and it's about her and her husband's three-month hike, including 1,400 miles on Europe's GR5, and we'll talk about what that is in just a minute. Uh, Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, Pat. Thanks for being. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be oh, here. No problem. We're going to get you into the studio. I was telling you about that place. So when 
when I come back in the fall. We'll have you come back. I just wanted to read a little something about Kathy before we start chatting. In 2018, Kathy Elkind and her husband, Jim, decided to take a grown-up gap year, which I love. I'm going to do that, uh, to in Europe and walk the 1,400-mile, I'm going to, Grand Randonnée Sink. Is that correct, Kathy? Close. Yep, Grand Randonnée Sink. <laughs> Yep. Oh, thank you. I was practicing, but not too good. So it goes. This is a trail that goes across the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, and France. And she wrote a book of their adventures called "To Walk It Is to See It." And according to comments from various authors, I'm going to quote this: "This book is an inspiring, deeply meditative, moving memoir filled with beautifully written prose, lush landscapes, sensory aliveness." and fascinating characters, and another author uh, wrote, she eloquently weaves together a narrative of adventure along the legendary long-distance trail, the GR5, with an intimate exploration of personal hopes, dreams, and challenges. The joys and difficulties of hiking day after day for hundreds of kilometers across Europe evoke and resolve personal challenges. And finally, someone said, Elkin's wise and funny book, well, have you reaching for your boot lace and backpack? Well, I've got it on Kindle. I'm almost through it. We'll see what happens about those boot laces and backpacks. Um, so thank you for writing this. What a wonderful book. So Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, just talk a little bit about your background and your decision to take such a trip and also to write about it, which is fabulous. Um, so I've been many different things. I was an elementary school teacher. I was a stay-at-home mom for about 10 years. Uh, and then I was an eating psychology coach for a little bit. Um, and then um, my husband and I, we've always been coming up to the Mad River Valley to ski at Mad River. And we decided in our late 50s that it was time to move up here permanently. And in, at the end of 2017, we moved up, and we kind of decided it would be the perfect time to pause in our lives and uh, take a gap year, a gap year in quotes, it wasn't quite a year, um, and uh, we love outdoor adventures, and we were trying to find something that we could both enjoy. Jim is much more adventurous and um, much more hardcore than I am. I'm... I'm I love to hike, but I didn't want to carry a big backpack anymore. So I, we asked a lot of different people, and we ended up talking to a Frenchman who had traveled all over the world, and he talked about the GR5, which I had never heard of it. So I Googled it, and I um, found out that it starts in the Netherlands and goes for a long, long way and ends up in the Mediterranean. And so... Um, I kind of decided this was our trip, and Jim had a, he was a little concerned about it, but um, he ended up loving it. It was the perfect trip for both of us, adventure. I bet. I mean, it just it just sounds fabulous, and we can talk about the um, all the places you've been and and how you divided your book into um, uh, each sort of each section, each each country, each section of of the trail, and. Um, I would really love to to chat about that in just a minute, but I wanted to, um, before we go on, you mentioned it, Eating Psychology Coach. Could you give us a, I'm going to do a show on this. Could you give us a quick 
um, <laughs> overview of what an eating psychology coach is? Yes, and it's actually now called a mind-body coach because right. it, um, I was trained as a coach, not as a psychologist. And some, you know, I, uh, psychologists don't like having um, the name uh, eating psychology coach in there. So I, I was uh. trained as a coach. Uh, it was a six-month training at the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, um, and that's that's in Boulder, but it was all online and. Um, so my background, I have dyslexia, and I struggled in school, and I actually didn't learn to read till about seventh grade. School was very difficult, and I actually I started using food to numb and soothe the feelings of shame uh, that came about as a young child who could not read. And so food, I always felt the food instead of you know drugs or alcohol, food was my my go-to source for soothing myself. And it would come and go throughout my life. And it wasn't until I think must have been late 40s, early 50s, when I came across the idea of becoming an eating psychology coach. And it just seemed like it was the perfect time to um, start studying it and hopefully heal myself and then begin to heal others. Which, so I did that, and I ran my own business, Alpine Nourishment, which I've just, I've just closed. Uh, there, I also became a mindful self-compassion teacher, and because I felt that that was a little bit part of what was missing in the training. And basically, the idea is to, you know, we all have difficult feelings in life. You know, shit happens. Sorry, maybe I should say that. Um, bad things happen in the life. We all suffer. And learning how to deal with that suffering uh, instead of turning to food, but be, learning to deal with difficult emotions. And that's what mindful self-compassion is. So I taught both of those in, um, in my business and coached, um, coached mostly women who use food at, at you know, over eight. And, um, so that's, that's what I did. That's great. And, that's um, right. That's really cool. I have to do. I have to maybe do a show. do a show with you on this if uh, if if uh, you'd like to. I worked with a woman years years and years ago in New York, and she was very heavy. And I don't know what got us started talking, but she was telling me she's depressed. And the reason that she eats that she likes food, and she said this, and it stuck with me, is because it's always there for me, and I'm always satisfied and feel better after I've eaten. And I'm like, whoa, that is some statement that, you know, the depression, you, you transfer it into the food you eat. In, and uh, she clearly was not healthy and, and knew it, but she couldn't stop uh, depending on food because every time she opened the refrigerator, there was some there. There was some, yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just little little upset me all these years. I still think about it. But anyway, back to the book. Thanks. So I read that before <laughs> any attempts, such as uh, doing a strenuous adventure like this, and I consider ninety eight day hike adventurous and stressful, that um, that before anybody attempts such a strenuous adventure, that they should have some hiking experience under their belt. Could you talk about how you prepared for this adventure? Um, yeah. Um, as I said, we had just moved up to the Mad River Valley 
so what I ended up doing was walking the dirt roads. I mean, you know, Vermont has so many dirt roads. It's wonderful, wonderful walking. And we all know that there's lots of hills. So it, I got up to walking four and five hours walk um, to train. And we were training. Um, we, we left to go to Europe in March, about March 15th. But we didn't start the trail um, until the end of April. And we actually flew first to southern Italy and did a lot of walking in southern Italy. Um, but actually, and before we left, we were also skiing. So skiing, any, you know, any cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, skiing at Mad River Glen was a way to get in shape. And, and, and it, I did have to work on, you know, walking consecutively, um, walking day after day. And then, so day hiking in Italy was a big part of getting ready. And then finally, the GR5 itself starts out flat in the Netherlands, and then it's rolling hills, and then finally you get to some bigger mountains, and then finally the Alps at the very end. That's, that's really that's really great. Um, when I was reading the was reading the book and all, and I think I can walk. I think where you were walking, you had so many things to look at because I I can walk in New York City. Haven't done it in a while, but miles uh, on a, a road because there's something to look at all the time, and you don't even realize that you're walking the distance you're walking. So I'm thinking this is um, a path that walks through uh, well countries and towns, and um, I like the way you did it because I read that um, you were able to indulge in warm beds and delicious regional food every night and croissants in the morning. You're like, sign me up. Um, so how, <laughs> I'm just curious, how, how did you plan each day? Uh, how and where to walk? How many miles? Do they have tour guides or guides available for the, the GR5? Um, let's see. Let's start out. Um, how did we plan each day? So there are three different guidebooks to um, the trail, and the third guidebook, well, the guidebook of the northern part of the trail actually had not been written um, when we did it in 2018, when we walked it. Now there is a guidebook of the northern part. But I stumbled across some blogs as we were getting ready um, for the trip, and this one guy who ended up writing um, the guidebook to the northern section, I read his blog, and, you know, blogs are great because it's the day-to-day and it helped right. us figure out, you know, where to stay and how to plan. And we would plan, in the beginning, we started again in late April, and we planned out um, two to three days out because we didn't really know our pace yet. And I will say, we actually liked the first week where we kind of broke all the walking rules. As I was reading and getting ready for walking, I realized it was a lot of flat pavement and I was worried Jim would mute me because he would think it was too boring. So uh, we decided to bike the first week, which would have been three weeks of walking. So in some ways, people would say we cheated, but we still did it under our own power. And um, so we used the guidebooks to help us plan. As, and as we got further into you know June and July, things got busier and many 
you know, Europeans take long, long vacations, and many Europeans walk two or three or four weeks of the GR5 every year. They do different sections instead of doing the whole thing at once. So we, as it got later in the trip, we had to plan two or three weeks out. Um, which actually took a lot of time. Sometimes that was the hardest thing to do was making the reservations. I bet. You were talking about how you planned the next day making reservations, and um, so you knew where you need to get to. Um, That's that's a lot of work. Uh, We did that with our RV, uh, making reservations the next day, and you never knew whether you chose correctly or not till you got there. Exactly. Yep. And, um, but I personally liked knowing that we had a place set up and that we didn't just walk into town and have to start looking. Um, And then many of the small hotels and mountain refuges, they serve food right there or have, uh, and the auberges have restaurants um, right there. Sometimes the hotels did not have places to eat, so we, you know, find restaurants. In the in the villages. Um, so how many so how that many was, hours were you working? Or were you walking? Say it right. Uh, how many hours were you walking during the day as you walked into town? How many hours did you spend out there? I would say, um, you know, on average maybe six. So, um, as it got, we start moved more towards seven and eight um, later on. Um, we. You know, we were in Europe. We wanted to try to get into towns by 2 or 3 in the afternoon so we could go into the cathedrals and if there's any museums, see the museums and just walk around the town. So we didn't want to be so exhausted that we couldn't, um, you know, under, um, get to know the culture that were in these villages. Good. I read also that you talked about the English language that um – the impression I got is that if you were polite and not the ugly American approach to traveling, that people would um, would, would want to practice their English and, and uh, you didn't have any trouble getting around. Yeah, we, um, yes, exactly. People were, as long as we tried to speak French and our French got a little bit better, but um, Jim is more of a language person than I am, so he, he got better. And we, you also, when you walked into a hotel, you kind of knew exactly what they were going to, you know, ask for your passport. They knew what, right. they, we knew what they were going to ask us, and they were going to tell us the Wi-Fi password and, you know, all the information that we needed. And they were very friendly, and they were, yes, many of them did speak English, and, um, you know, we really got to know some very interesting people. It was fun. I used to travel to Switzerland, to Basel, Switzerland a lot for work. It was a tough job, but I did it. But I, I was very impressed with the way people could switch from one language to another in Switzerland. It's uh, Switzerdeutsch, French, Italian, um, and they would just switch. And they wouldn't have to think about it much. They'd just speak Italian, and they were off and running. I just think that's because they live over there, and they're, they're we don't do that here in the United States because we're not... Uh, uh, we we don't have other languages uh, for the most part around us on a on a regular basis. So I think that's great that they can do that. And as long as you don't play the ugly American role, um, it's they will be polite and nice right back. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's what, and what and I also think it helps 
having a backpack on our back. They knew that we were moving slowly and, um, you know, we're taking in lots of, lots of the culture. We weren't, you know, just coming in for an hour or two. We were, you know, um, taking our time. So let me ask you, you mentioned backpacks uh, twice here that you didn't like carrying heavy backpacks. Uh, how in heaven's name did you pack for three months plus the weather plus um, I'm sure some parts of the trail were were steep, some parts not. I mean, how how did you do that? I have trouble going away for a weekend. When we go back to Vermont, do you think I you think I'd be gone for a month with what I take with me? Um, let's see. We we had our. I started out, you know, wearing a pair of capris, and then I moved to shorts, and I had um, two wool t-shirts and two sun shirts. And and then you know obviously rain gear we had in our packs um, a you know a, a warmer layer I did have very lightweight gloves and um, a very lightweight wool hat and a sun hat so our our packs if I remember correctly our packs were about um, uh, about 17 pounds without water and without lunch we carried our lunches um, between the villages. So it was about 17 pounds. I think Jim Jim was a little bit heavier. He carried, he had a backup um, battery for our phones. Um, and he may have he carried a little bit more of the food than I did. Um, but we tried to go. Um, one of my mantras was simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. And in some ways, when you get up in the morning, you just put the same clothes on every day. It's, you don't have to think about it. You don't waste mental energy. <laughs> thinking, should I wear this or this? Because you don't have anything else to wear. And, of course, you know, your walking shoes are your most important um, piece of equipment and finding boots or slash walking shoes that work best for you, you know, that don't give you blisters is most important. And the socks that work best for your feet is super important. Um, and I had I just had one pair of other shoes to slip on at night. It was nice to have get my feet out of out of my walking boots. That's 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 really um, actually given me a lot of things to think about because uh, I do I pack way too much. I can't even imagine thinking about going away for three months. Um, that I, I and I put in my questions to ask you now about that you do a lot of speaking engagements and you've spoken locally the Green Mountain Club and the Dream Factory which I do not know what that is. I should have looked it up. Is, what is the Dream Factory, Kathy? But that's actually um, something back in Massachusetts. It was wow. a group of um, women, entre women entrepreneurs. And nice. I'm not even sure if it's going right now, but it was a, a group of women entrepreneurs that I spoke oh, okay. to. I, I didn't think it was in Vermont. Anything associated? Uh, I, I know a lot of I know a lot of the organizations here in Vermont. So my question is, what? What was that one message you wanted to leave with your audience when you do these speaking engagements? What do you want them to take away after hearing you speak? Um, let's see. I think it would be um, you're stronger than you think. You know, I was 57 when we did that walk, and I wasn't sure if I could do it, but I did it. And now I'm 63, and I actually feel even stronger since, um, and physically, and my heart is stronger, and my uh, emotions are and my emotions are stronger, and 
I think we're all a lot stronger than we think, but we do need to be, especially as we get older, we need to be patient with our body and really listen to it and go at our own pace. Don't go at somebody else's pace. Go at your own pace. Um, And I hope this book really inspires uh, people to get out and walk and do walking vacations. Like, you don't need to go bus to bus. You can do walking vacations. So I have lots of things I want people to get out of it. <laughs> so, Kathy, I, I quoted what you said about us uh, older and hopefully stronger women, that uh, we are made the circle and maybe we're becoming valued. They used to value older people years and years ago. Um, and you're right, yeah. it kind of kind of did the cycle thing. And you talked about how you want to look at the next third of your life. Um, maybe you could talk about what you're looking at and thinking about the next third of your life with this newfound strength. Um, yeah, I, I, I think when we, um, we as women and, and men too, you, when you get into your 60s and late 50s, you kind of realize that, you do only have a third, you know, you have a third, maybe people are living longer now, but um, we have time, but it's it's a potentially limited time. It could be, right. we could be gone tomorrow, and we're if we're lucky enough, we will have another third of our life to live. So um, why not go for it? <laughs> and, you know, I really don't care what other people think anymore at all. I'm going to do what I feel like is important. And um, as I said, I really want to share the love of walking and the share, share, um, share how I became stronger and, and how I, and, and also in this whole process of walking and then coming home, home and having this really strong desire to write, which um I, you know, it was three months of walking, but it was four years of writing, and then I call it also the publishing um, adventure. In all of that, I took writing classes, and in some ways, you know, COVID allowed me to be home for two or two years and just focusing on this activity, which in some ways helped for me. Um, but Writing and getting my voice out there into the world, um, you know, feels pretty good. And I do hope I've been getting good feedback from other people that, um, that being vulnerable, sharing, you know, the hard parts in life and how how I got through them. And, um, yeah, so, and I think this other last third of my life is like I am willing to learn new things, and I do really want to keep my brain as active as I can. So taking uh, new classes and in the publishing world, you know, pushing more out on social media and learning to make videos and all these kinds of things are um, great ways to um, keep your mind going and just finding new adventures in life and whatever brings you joy um, is possible. And um, I, I hope I'm an example for other women. That's great. Good for you. I'm just trying to think about how when you sat down to write the book, had you taken notes every day? Did you use your cell phone to take uh, to talk and say, this? here's what we did today, here's my impressions? Um, or is your memory that good? Um, I wrote a short paragraph every day in a journal, 
I did not know I was going to write the book while we were walking. I had no idea. I also I did um, make short videos because I had been making short videos for my YouTube channel um, as part of my business, and um, and that helped. Jim also wrote a journal, and he shared his journal with me. And I do, I think that is one of my superpowers. I am pretty good at putting myself back into a place. And I did write it fairly quickly after we came home, so I hadn't lost, lost those memories. And pictures, yeah, right. I took thousands of pictures during our walk, and that uh, personally helped me get back into the, to the writing process. Well, that's great that you did all that because um, I must admit, um, I think if I, I would have trouble deciding what I did yesterday. So um, we just, it's good to have the, all those notes to refer to. Um, so um, I wanted to talk about the book itself. Uh, we've talked in general about it. And um, uh, I know you broke your each chapter. You've got uh, seven of them. And it takes the the, the countries one by one. And you talk about your experiences, and I, I, um, I was hoping if I just we went through each chapter, and you told us what you remember about that part of the leg of your trip, um, anything about the people, the food, the, what you saw there. You mentioned going to churches and other things, and what sticks out, like in chapter one, you talked about the Netherlands and Belgium. What, what was there that you bring with you forever? Um, first of all, the flat landscape um, ah. and the canals were, I, we, I had never been to the Netherlands before, so the flat landscape and the, the beautiful canals, and we just happened to be there, like, again, we didn't plan this, but the tulips were in bloom, and oh, oh. my goodness, it was spectacular, just spectacular, the colors, and um, Belgium became um, rolling hills at the second part of Belgium. We got into the Ardennes, uh, which, you know, after you've been walking flat for a while and biking, first we bike flat and then walking flat, and then um, the Ardennes are um, really neat, uh, small mountains, um, more rolling hills. But Belgium is lots of cows, <laughs> just beautiful cows, yes. and... Um, you know, there was a beautiful, a really interesting Abbey Museum. The history, we all know that Europe has an amazing long history. And, um, you know, we would get into town. One time we got into town and um, went to an, the Abbey Museum. And, it, you know, it's centuries of history. Right. And I, at the end of that day, I felt like my brain was just as tired as my body um, from, from learning so much history. <laughs> That's great. I I can imagine looking at the acres and acres of tulips. You see pictures of the Netherlands when all the tulips are out, and you're right. The colors. And this is in photography. I can't imagine seeing it for real. The the colors are just spectacular. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. You, I'm sure you've got lots of pictures of those because um, <laughs> anything about because I'm big on food. Anything. What is the Netherlands and Belgian food? Is there such a thing? Uh, well, chocolate for Belgium and the Netherlands had ah. chocolate too. So yes, uh, you kind of we could kind of feel like once you got into Belgium, every single village had a chocolate shop, 
So um, as you've read part of the book, and you know that I was actually not feeling so well during the bike right. part, and I knew I was kind of sick because even chocolate didn't taste good to me. Right, um, right. So I, I, in many ways, I actually do want to go back. Personally, I want to go back and walk the part that we bike because I would like to spend more time in the Netherlands and Belgium. Um, so I'm, someday that, that's on my list to go back and walk that part. Well, I didn't mention this, but you told me that the that the trail, the part of the trail that's probably the most known, is the part between Lake Geneva and the Mediterranean, uh, which is what I thought when I wrote to you first. That is the GR5 trail, but obviously not. It starts in the Netherlands, but that was the part that either most people walk or that that is the most well known. Um, and I would think Lake Geneva is a good place to start because it's beautiful there. Um, but anyway, uh, the next part in your book is Luxembourg. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Luxembourg is a you know a small country, uh, and we took ten days to walk the length of it, which is kind of neat. You know, on the e- uh, eastern border, and um, Luxembourg ha- um, there's a I think it's about two two days of walking. Uh, it's called Petit. Switzerland, Luxembourg, Switzerland. But I guess some people think it looks like Switzerland. To me, it didn't look like Switzerland. But it's um, gorgeous, um, sandstone gorges, and it was it was really neat um, walking. Um, and there were um, at that place there were some other walk. We ran into some other walkers. And Luxembourg has cute little towns. And then up sometimes we were up high on plateaus, looking across. And remember, this was May, and so the wheat fields were, you know, bright, bright green, and the poppy, the red poppies were blooming, um, and it was, Switzerland was a cute little country. I feel like we didn't meet too many people, not sorry, uh, Luxembourg was a cute little country. I feel like we did not meet too many people who, you know, lived in Luxembourg. It, it was quiet. Many of the villages were, we walked through with, Felt almost empty, so it, wow. it was a different. It was a different country. Interesting. Uh, were they out? Where, where were the people, or are there? I don't know. I, maybe many of them were um, at work, you know. And um, when we were walking through, and uh, we did see farmers. We did see farmers out out um, in the fields. Yep. Let's see. What else was I going to say? Um, did you when, when oh, I used to go? I would to, say, I used, say if. Oh, Go ahead. Uh, if you wanted to do just a ten-day walk, walking the length of Luxembourg would be a neat uh, would be a neat walk. Huh. That's great. So when I went to Switzerland a lot, I was shocked when we would go to a restaurant. They would fill your plate up. You'd eat. They come and take the plate away and replace it with another completely filled plate. So you actually whatever you ordered, you got sort of two of, which I thought was, you, you need to know that when you're ordering because you'd be like, speaking of gaining weight. Um, did they do that in any of the restaurants that you visited? Because I was blown away by that in, in Switzerland. Um, they didn't do it to desserts, though. That's, I would recommend they do that <laughs> to the desserts, too. But they uh, coop Denmark, which is hot fudge sundaes. But did they do that in the restaurants? It was, it was like almost ridiculous, the amount of food they gave you. 
No, I don't. I don't remember. No, nope, huh. not that I remember. No. They do it in Switzerland, and I, I'm like, whoa! Done. And I, they all laughed at me because they were waiting for my reaction. Because I went, I just ate this. <laughs> well, you get it again. So, Kathy, we were. I uh, wanted to skip over to uh, Lorraine. I'll, I know Alsace, Lorraine. Um, what was that going through that country? What was that like for you? Uh, so Lorraine, northern France, uh, rolling hills. Um, of course, we had quiche Lorraine. Uh, right. There are storks in part, parts in the, uh, the GR5 starts to head east to Lorraine, um, and we saw storks. And then um, it's also known for uh, marabellas, which is a type of plum, and obviously they weren't ripe in um, the end of May when we were there. But um, what I did find in a store, them um, in jars, and they're, they're golden plums. And again, someday I'd love to go back when they are ripe, and they're just cute little golden plums in the syrup, and they were, they were delicious. Yummy. So, did you run into uh, cheesemakers along the along the way? Because it seems to me that cheese might be something that, with all those cows, that they um, that they have. <laughs> Yes, uh, in the Alps, um, we ran into um, cheesemakers. Uh, we happened to be at a farm resting and filling up our, our water bottles. And when we, we walked into the, so the farms up in the mountains are actually much lower um, shed, sort of sheds. These are summer farms, and they aren't, the, um, they, they aren't there. They're only up there in the summer, the herds and the families. And they were um, making cheese um, over a wood fire with a big copper pot. And it was a father and two young sons. Uh, and they were, you know, boiling the milk and um, then straining. We watched them strain the curds. And they gave us a little spoonful of the curds. And, oh, my goodness, the taste was unbelievable. And then we bought some cheese. Uh, many of these farms... They have. You can stay there. They'll serve you meals, and um, you can buy the cheese as you're walking through. It's it's pretty neat. Wouldn't it be neat to have a cheesemaker right in the right in the uh, right along the long trail? <laughs> I think everything I cook has some something with cheese in it. Uh, whether we shake it on, cut it up, put it in it, cook with it. I I love cheese. Just love it. And it, that's why we like Vermont because there's cheese everywhere. Um, which and we're award-winning besides, so that's a cool thing. But I know um, uh, cheese um, in that part of Europe is is uh, prevalent and it's fabulous. So um, the the next chapter, and I'm it's a mountain range in France, and maybe you could pronounce it for me, V O S G E S, because I will butcher it. Uh, the Vosges. Yeah, I used Vosges. to butcher it too. I'm I'm getting better now. The Vosges, the Vosges Mountains. Um, yeah, the Vosges Mountains are in eastern, northeastern uh, France, and it, it took about two weeks to walk through the Vosges Mountains, and there were a lot of um, ca- ruined castles, so that was kind of neat. Um, uh, you, the, the, the GR5 is designed to be sort of village to village, and it, many times the, villi- the trail is designed to go by cultural sites, which makes it so interesting. Um, there was also, a, a, you know, a lot of woods in um, woods walking, which I actually helped me get into a meditative state. I really enjoyed um, the woods. And, again, we were there. That was in June. 
so all along we had amazing the birds singing um, were just amazing. It was, it was great. And when we were in the village, it did rain. And, you know, early June, we had a fair amount of rain. Uh, and that's the village is where we had a really good, talking back to cheese, a really good monster cheese that um, was very strong. You could smell it even inside our packs. <laughs> um, but, it, boy, that was delicious. That's great. Um uh, so the next chapter is again maybe you could, is the Jura. 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 Well, not even close, but we tried. Um, and that's no. a mountain range <laughs> that goes Switzerland and France. So um, now we're getting into mountains. So a little bit of climbing up and down. Yes, climbing up and down. There was sort of got we got a rhythm into a rhythm where you usually were staying in the valleys and where the villages were, and then in the morning time, climbing up, 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 and then sometimes going along a ridge or down a little bit and up another mountain. Um, and the Jura, the Jura aren't, the Vosges have taller peaks um, or pointier peaks. The Jura are high plateaus, so just beautiful views, and there were lots of, far, there was a lot of farming going on, and again, um, more rolling wheat fields and um, more cows, and there were definitely more French walkers um, in the second. This was the second half of June, and many of the French walkers are walking. Um, it's called the Jura Grand Traverse, so it's a two-week walk, the whole length of the Jura, and we ran into more and more walkers and stayed in jeeps, um, which basically is a Sometimes it's bunk rooms, sometimes it's, uh, you know, private rooms, but you all eat together and you sometimes help set the table. And there were like eight or ten of us eating together and there's wine and, um, you know, sometimes a three or four course meal and, um, you know, cheese afterwards, more cheese afterwards and um, dessert. It was, um, that was, that was fun. And we got, so we would run into the same people at, they were we were sort of on the same path as, as them. It it overlaps the GR five for for a week. What a what a great thing for the small towns to have um, so many uh, tourists and people walking to their towns. So they probably wouldn't get that kind of travel normally without the trail. I mean, I'm sure some of the towns you visited are towns that you wouldn't wouldn't find on a on a trip to France or or wherever. So. What a great thing for the for the people to get to meet others from outside their village and their their country. Um, very clever. Uh, are there places along yeah. the route to to stop and uh, just to get crass to go to the ladies' room, go to the to the bathroom, and get water and and just to kind of refresh a little bit? Are there places to stop, or would you do it just mostly in towns? Um, mostly, mostly in town, um, we, you know, we got so we could, you know, we would pee, pee in the pee in the bushes and, and things like that. Uh, and what we did carry our, um, I don't like to run out of water, so we probably carried more water than we needed to do. But there are lots of every town has fountains, and there most of them are potable. Um, and sometimes you're going through it, you you know. Um, you leave a town, hike for a while, come into another village, and then leave that village. Um, 
and so you can get water. Um, it's not as many people walk the Camino Santiago in northern Spain, and my understanding just from reading about that, there, there's definitely more places to stop. But here, uh, I would say it wasn't quite as busy. Because staying hydrated on this trip was probably very critical um, just because you're yes. expending so much energy, so you had to keep drinking. And so the next two chapters are about, to finish up the book, is the Northern Alps and the Southern Alps. A difference in the Alps, um, higher, lower, um, what what did you find in, in those two sections of the Alps? Um, there's not... Um, not too much di- difference. I, I kind of divided that personally um, just to, so I could put different um, sub-chapters in. Um, but I will say I felt like there was, it was, we felt like it was busier in the Northern Alps and the Southern Alps where it had um, less hikers. And I don't quite understand because it was, man, just as beautiful. I used you know, that walking the Alps was about five weeks of walking, and I, both Jim and I just couldn't believe how – it, every day was just seemed more beautiful and more beautiful. And uh, we went through national parks and we saw vultures riding the air currents. And um, we saw, um, boy, I'm not going to remember that, two different types of mountain goats. Um, uh, well, chamois and oh, there's another, Bhutan, Bhutan, which oh, nice. have huge um, horns. And then, of course, there were also the uh, marmots, which are like um, uh, prairie dogs. But marmots, um, they, they're they kind of like little clowns. They're really cute, and you walk along the trail, and they're very curious about what you're doing. And then if you get too close, they send a little whistle up, and then they all dive into their holes. Um, they, they were cute. And then, of course, the wildflowers were just absolutely oh. spectacular and still snow up in the up in the higher mountains. Just this spectacular. Is, uh, we, we have to close out the show, but I have enjoyed this show very, very much, and I would encourage people to get your book, um, however, in hard copy or like I do with Kindle, because um, um, I just loved it, and I hope we can meet in person someday. I'd love to hear you talk. And you're still talking to your husband after 24-7 and 98 days. Good for you guys. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I um, I know there's more hiking. You actually went to Spain and Italy and did more hiking after this adventure. Um, and I wish you all the best with the rest of one-third of your life. I thank you, Kathy Elkind. Get the book. To walk it is to see it. Um, we'll be back on Tuesday with uh, more from Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. This is Pat McDonald signing off.